In today's program, we meet the man who's trying to teach Kingfishers how to play golf. Well, I'm the project manager for the project that we're running down in the Druids Golf Resort for the sanctuary, bird sanctuary. And I suppose the object is to increase the number of birds in the sanctuary for the enjoyment of the golfers and the visitors to the Druids. Oh, well, where, is, where is the Druids Resort for people who might know? Well, the Druids Golf Resort, it's located between the Wicklow Hills and the to the west and the Irish Sea to the east, the Sugarloaf Mountain to the north. It's close to Newtown on Kennedy. It's relatively close to Kilcool, and it's very close to the Birdwatch Ireland Sanctuary, which runs along the coast. It was on Mooney Goes Wild back in April 2005 that we first heard of an unusual experiment being carried out by wildlife conservator Derek Mulrooney near the 12th tee at the Druids Glen Golf Resort in County Wicklow. We identified over 40 species of birds and we felt that the kingfisher was probably the most significant and the most important bird we had. The kingfisher moves up and down the Newtown Mount Kennedy River from the breaches right up to the bridge uh, on the 12th where we saw in the valley the other day, Richard. And um, we discussed this with Dave and also with um, Keith Bedford from the RSPB in Britain, what we would do. And Dave Rees came up with the idea of building this very innovative Kingfisher Bank. You want to get Kingfishers to nest near the 12th? Yes, we have So describe what it looks like there at the moment. You have a little island. We have an island. We have swans nesting on the island. We have a green, a golf green. And we have on this uh, an old bridge, three-eyed bridge. And just on the north side of the three-eyed bridge, we identified this area where there's deep water in front and, of course, the kingfisher likes to fish. And we built this structure, which is about um, four metres wide and about three metres high from the water. And it's in sections, a section at the bottom of rock, then a section of compacted rabbit sand, a section of stones a section of compacted rabbit sand, another section of rock, etc., and it goes up. So a sandwich of sand and stone, in effect. Correct. And how far back does it go? How deep? It goes back about three metres deep. The ancient Greeks thought that the kingfisher was such a beautiful creature that it belonged in the realm of the gods and not in the everyday world. It nests deep in a burrow where it can't be seen, and this led the Greeks to think that it laid its eggs on a floating nest out at sea. The gods calmed the waters for their favourite bird and that, they claim, is why the seas off Greece are calm for a few weeks every summer. These were the Halcyon days. We Irish have not always been so kind to our birds. We cherish them nowadays, but attitudes to wild creatures were very different, even in the recent past. This was brought home to me most vividly back in the late 1970s when an incident occurred which involved a most unusual kingfisher. Way back in 1978, when uh, Jim Fitzharris was acting as the coordinator of the rarities panel in Ireland for birds, he got a letter from this gentleman in Ballinar saying he had a strange kingfisher on his doorstep and he'd been watching it for some time. And would somebody from the Irish Wild Bird Conservancy, which it was then called, come down and have a look at it? And nobody went. And three months later, the man wrote and said, this kingfisher is still here and it's a belted kingfisher from North America. At that point in time, Jim Fitzharris said to me, I think we'd better go and check this out. So a carload of Dublin birdwatchers went down to Ballinar, 
went to the bridge where the gentleman had found it, and there it was, a North American belted kingfisher, and the first ever for Ireland. Well, it's a bit bigger than our ordinary kingfisher, but it's not as brightly coloured, is it? No, it's certainly not as brightly coloured. It doesn't have the bright metallic colour blue that our own has, sometimes called cobalt blue. No, this one's more of a dull blue-grey colour on the back. It has a white belly, but the most significant thing is it has two breast bands, two lines going across the belly. The higher one is dark or blackish in colour, and the lower one is a kind of a tomato ketchup red, and that indicates it's a female, having that red breast band. The belted kingfisher is an extremely rare visitor to our shores, but unfortunately for this individual, the visit was short-lived, as Dr Don Cotton recalls. What actually happened was, after the bird watchers had looked at it at Ballina, a gentleman came along and tapped them on the shoulder and said, Lads, what are you looking at? And they showed them the kingfisher. And apparently that evening he came along with his gun and he popped it off. And he put it into his deep freeze. And the next day, more bird watchers came to see the kingfisher because it was such a rarity. And when they went looking for it, a local person said, I know where that kingfisher is. Go and knock on that door down the road and you'll be able to see it. So they duly went and knocked on the door, were brought into the house, and a packet was brought out of the freezer and said, here's your kingfisher, sir. And unfortunately, it was our belted kingfisher shot to be stuffed. And the shooter was convicted, was he not, and fined some time later. He was indeed. The belted kingfisher incident had one positive outcome. The unfortunate bird's body was retrieved, and on behalf of Birdwatch Ireland, I presented it to the Natural History Museum. They had the specimen mounted, and it has been on display there ever since. Like a true Halcyon bird, it has attained a sort of immortality. Um, it's a shame that that happened, because it looked like the bird was going to live you know, for quite a long time in Ireland. It had been there, for, after all, for about four months at that stage, and was doing quite nicely, thank you. Um, yes, he was fined £20 and told not to do it again. And he said, but to the judge, he told the judge, I thought it was a jay. This poor old bird battled 3,000 miles against all the odds and managed to survive the Atlantic only to be shot by this fellow. What a pity, what a, what a disgrace. However, this is a representative of the Kingfisher tribe. Now, the Kingfishers are a rather curious lot. Tell us something about the Kingfishers in general, Don. Well, throughout the world, all the Kingfishers are very, very similar. If you see a Kingfisher in Ireland... You know, it, you know the kingfisher as a bird. And everywhere you go, Australia, Asia, South America, they all look more or less the same shape. Some are a bit bigger and some are a bit smaller than our own kingfisher. But generally speaking, they're all pretty brightly coloured birds. There are a few dull ones, but they're pretty brightly coloured. Our own kingfisher, for example, is this bright cobalt blue on the back, red tomato ketchup on the, the belly, and actually an old description that I found in one of the old bird books described our own kingfisher as having ceiling wax red feet. And I think that was a beautiful description. But wherever you go in the world, you would recognise a kingfisher because of the general body shape, the big bill, the rather large-headed appearance that they have, short wings, and when they fly, they have a really whirring wing beat as they whiz down the river. You know, you'd know a kingfisher, and there are actually, do you know that? There's 95 species in the world. Which, when you think there's only 10,000 birds in the world, it means kingfishers are about 1% of the species of birds in this world. Eamon, The bad old days of trophy hunting of kingfishers and other birds are gone, thanks to the Wildlife Act of 1976. 
This great change in Irish attitudes to conservation is due in no small measure to the work of dedicated individuals who set out to change hearts and minds. Foremost among them has been Ireland's leading wildlife filmmaker, Eamon de Butler. I grew up on the Dargle, or on the banks of the Dargle, and across the river was a, a, a boulder clay bank. It was ideal for kingfishers. It was approximately the right height. I suppose it would have been mm, probably about five feet above the water um, from sort of uh, from the river right up to the top of the bank. And the kingfishers nested there every year. And, of course, there were lots of trees. Kingfishers like places where there are lots of trees because they use the trees for diving from. So they like to have a, a nice handy perch. And there were plenty of handy perches along the River Dargle. There were lots of minnows on which they feed, lots of sticklebacks and lots of baby trout. So they had everything along the Dargle. So when you came to film Kingfishers later in life, you, of course, knew all about them. You knew their ways. Did this help you as a filmmaker? Well, you never know all about them. (laughs) (laughs) And I just knew Kingfishers. You know, the the birds that lived along the river, I knew probably better than other birds. And um, the Kingfisher is so spectacular. I mean, it's, it's so bright. It looks as if it doesn't really belong in Ireland. There is no other bird that has this flash of colour. It looks, in ways it looks out of place. If you compare it now to the dipper which is quite a dark bird except for its very white breast and of course the dipper's name in Irish is on Gawa Dove, the blacksmith and it's because of this apron and they say that this white apron is actually used by the dipper as a reflector and it throws up light because the dipper can actually go down into the water and walk along the bottom of the stream, turning over little stones, and under these stones it finds caddis. Now, the kingfisher, of course, is quite different in that it doesn't walk on the bottom of the river, but it actually dives when it sees a, a minnow or a stickleback. So it's a very, very skilful. Um, fisherman or fisherwoman depending on which one you're looking at and it's very difficult to tell the difference between a male kingfisher and a female kingfisher except during the breeding season that the the female kingfisher uses a little bit of lipstick on the bottom mandible, that's the bottom section of the bill, so if you see two kingfishers sitting side by side during the breeding season you'll notice that with the female the bottom of her bill is reddish, whereas with the with the male, it's it's entirely dark. It's kind of a blackish colour. How difficult among birds is the kingfisher to film? Not really terribly difficult. Um, the the most difficult part would be to film the bird on its nest inside because it does uh, burrow into a bank. Now, looking at kingfishers through a telescope when they fly from a perch. It's very difficult to keep on them. I would have imagined now if I was a filmmaker, it would be almost impossible to actually move your camera nice and smoothly once the bird leaves, because it flies very fast, very smoothly, but very fast, and you have to be quick off the mark. Is this the case? Well, you don't usually pan with the kingfisher. He does go too fast or she goes too fast. You know, you, you have your, your bird in frame or you have your bird, you have your camera set up in such a way that it's either coming to you or going from you are quite close to you when it actually arrives on 
the perch. And modern cameras now, believe it or not, you can actually run the camera after the bird lands and you get the few frames before the bird actually flies in. So you're actually getting them arriving, which you couldn't do with, with film cameras. With new digi cameras, you can actually do this. So it's a bit of a cheat in the way that, you know, you, 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 the bird lands on the perch and you press the button and you actually get them arriving, which is, I just couldn't believe it the first time I saw it. Some of the most memorable images of kingfishers ever broadcast were filmed by the wildlife documentary producer Charlie Hamilton James for the award-winning BBC film My Halcyon River. Kingfishers are great to film, but most birds sort of flip from one place to another. But kingfishers are creatures of habit, and they like to have a favourite perch, they like to fish in their favourite locations, and, and because of that you can control them slightly, you can get them to fish where you want by giving them fish. <laughs> So to film a kingfisher diving, looking from underneath, we can actually get a wild bird and get it catching fish on top of a camera, which is underwater. Basically, it's a bird, it's a wild animal that's easy to control, and that's every cameraman's dream, basically. So you got an artificial tank, yeah, and you took it down, and you brought fish in, and you plunked them down there. Now, did you do this gradually, or did you... Um... You can pretty much do it straight away. You, all you're doing is you're taking fish from there, and you're putting them there. So you're moving fish a metre. You know, you're catching them around where you're working. Mm-hmm. And the bird is, is catching, you know, in, at peak time, it's catching maybe 60 fish a day. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're basically just controlling where the bird's going to catch its fish from. So rather than just randomly going up and down the river to its favourite spots you're suggesting to it that your spot is a more productive one. On a visit to his home on the banks of the River Boyd near Bristol, I asked Charlie about the kingfisher's approach to fishing. They hit it on the way down and they can judge exactly how deep they have to dive because as they hit the water, their wings spread out to, to break them, but it's timed so that they, they hit the exact depth of the fish. So it, it breaks and it forces its wings out and it stops diving the second it's got the fish and then it forces its wings downwards, like, almost like it's flying in the water, which pushes it back up. So it's using the wings to, to navigate underwater rather than the feet. That's its, its style, is it? Yeah, the feet don't, don't really come into it. And, and to be honest, it navigates too uh, extensive a word for it because it's literally just hitting the water and it's hitting the fish uh, so fast that it's... Already its body, I think, and its brain has worked out when and where it's going to break before it's even left the perch. So it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's too fast for it to be able to work out underwater. I think what it works out underwater is the second it feels something, it, it grabs it. But it's already worked out the depth, the distance, and when it needs to break. It doesn't go an inch further, so it'll never break its its neck crashing into a rock under the water or anything like that. Fortunately not. No, I've never seen one make any great mistakes. The only mistake they make is to miss or pick up the wrong thing. So now you have your fish, you're a kingfisher, and you use your wings to get back to the surface, and then you lift off, do you? But it's just holding the fish now at this stage. So what's the next part of the sequence? So they've got to to break free of the water, which requires a huge amount of energy. They've got to then get back up to the perch, which is usually the perch they've just dived from. And then they've got to hold the fish and kill the fish, which is amazing how they do it, because they've got a very short, shiny beak, which manages to grip the fish. 
And they do this by bashing it on the head. And they'll do this you know, four or five times usually, depending on the species of fish. If they've got a stickleback, they'll do it 10, 20 times to get the spines down on its back. If it's just a minnow, they'll bash it four or five times on the head. Often they'll flip it round and they'll chuck it in the air and it'll spin and they'll catch it. And It's all so fast. You, can, you usually only see it when you're, when you're taking photos or filming them. But they're pretty much juggling this fish. And then if they're going to eat it, they'll swallow it head first. If they're going to feed it to young, they have to keep flipping it up until its head is facing away from them. And the, so, you know, it's tail first in their beak. And then they can fly off down the river and feed it to their chick head and first. straight into the burrow and then feed it to the... To the yeah. Now, you said that you, you beat the fish until such time as the spines and a young perch or a sickleback or whatever has these nasty spines to prevent things like kingfishers attacking from the back. These spines, then, uh, the object is to get the spine down flat. It doesn't remove the spine, does it? It's, it's no. It does it, swallow the spine and doesn't affect it. Yeah, I mean, sticklebacks have got a line of three spines on their back. They've also got side spines, so the aim is to get them as flat as possible. And I've seen um, young kingfishers not experienced enough, almost choking on sticklebacks and sitting for 20 minutes with their beaks open until the fish has died and the spines <laughs> have, have flattened. So generally, adult kingfishers are very good at killing sticklebacks properly until they're completely dead and their spines are then relaxed and they can swallow them. Now, did you ever see a kingfisher make a mistake, get a fish that's too big for it, get a fish that manages to wriggle off and d- d- jump off the branch and dive into the water and escape? Is this ha- does this happen? Are they totally efficient, do you think? Uh, no, they're not efficient. They're, their success at diving is about one in three. Uh, they drop fish all the time. Do they? And they regularly catch completely the wrong thing. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they look... They're sort of funny because they look perfect and brilliantly evolved for fishing but which they are but they do make mistakes it's quite funny watching them make mistakes because they they're obviously not embarrassed because they're just a bird but they they come across as slightly embarrassed when they've done it they sort of look around and pretend they haven't done it good afternoon Romy it's Vicky speaking how can I help you one of the best places at which to see kingfishers in Britain is the Rye Meads Nature Reserve, which is about an hour by train northeast of London. The reserve was created by the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, and it is here that the concept of the artificial kingfisher bank was pioneered by Keith Bedford. So here we are. This is our kingfisher hide. And there's the bank. Keith, take me back to the time when you came here first. Were there kingfishers here before you started your work? There's always been kingfishers around uh, because there's so many fish here that it's a good place for kingfishers, but not breeding. Originally, we had two thoughts. One, how can we help the kingfisher mm-hmm. provide it with breeding banks because the river's got concrete all around it. That was... First reason. Second reason, how do we show our members and the general public good views of kingfishers? This hive was here already. The first thing we did, we hired about 17, 18 years ago, we hired a mini digger. Mm-hmm. And just where the bank is that you see, we dug a natural bank. They weren't interested. They didn't, <clears throat> they didn't take to it or use they it. They refused to use it, even though it was the only piece of habitat they could use in this entire area, probably, wasn't well, it? Well, yes, uh, this didn't work. The, the, the material that the bank was built of was 
dredgings from the river when this was all created. Too many stones, presumably, I'm not sure. So the next idea, the Kevin Roberts and myself got our heads together and said, right, how do we get an artificial bank that is not too artificial? Some people have built banks with holes in uh, pipes and things, and I, I believe some of these have been successful, but we wanted a completely natural bank. So I, I set to and designed this bank, good solid base, and then on top we put about two, two foot six of sand and cement, a very weak, 100 to 1 sand cement on top. And that's quite soft, but yet... That was quite soft. Strong. Because we did a, a deep layer, it, it tended to corrode away. But anyway, we did this. We, we, we took the shuttering down. <laughs> Fortunately, we were at the end of March when kingfishers were looking for places. So we took down the shuttering, and before we had time to finish it off, put the roof on with, a, with an extending bit over the top. Mm-hmm. The kingfishers were... The, the male was digging holes. Digging the holes? Within digging the holes. Hour. Within an hour or two of taking the shuttering and down. And this in material that was totally artificial that no kingfisher had ever probably dug in before. Well, it was very similar to... You imagine a, a, a sandy bank in the old days, thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, the river floods in the winter and it cuts a new bank and leaves the shingle bank the other side. The shingle bank, the terns will nest on, and this new cut-out bank, kingfishers will dig in. So we've sort of recreated that. We've actually got water coming in, coming round and going out, so this is like a meander in a river. And mature trees behind, which are slowly getting eroded into, new growth out here, reed beds growing up, willows behind it. So it, it, it... really represents a natural bend in the river. So your bird dug this hole and did they nest? They nested, they did. yep. Um, one boot or two? <laughs> it, no, that's the wrong question. It's two broods or three. Oh, two broods or three? Oh, yeah. Good. Oh. Most years we have three broods. I can't remember oh, the first God. year. It's a long time ago, 16 years ago now. So I can't remember if it was two or three that year. But Highly successful, though, right yeah. from the start. Yeah. But after after a few years, we start they, we got a bit of trouble because having this big layer, the front corroded in mm. and left a track on top of the concrete there, and I believe stoats, weasels, or something started predating them. So we knocked the whole top off, and I redesigned it, thinner layers, with with layers of cement in between. So the corrosion, it could only corrode. Wings on the end. I've actually watched a mink in here mm. go round that bank, swimming along the water, looking up. He could obviously smell kingfishers in there. Up, over the top, down into what, three times he went right round that. Couldn't get in, which mm. not very pleasing to see mink here, which we don't want, but very pleasing to see they couldn't get in the bank. So that bank is weasel-proof even, is it? That's Can they not get proof. up that wall there and run along there? They're adventurous characters, you know? It would appear they can't. Mm. I know they climb. I know weasels will climb trees and go to nest boxes, but no trouble with weasels or oh, stoat or, or mink, which are our three main predators. Yeah. Over the last 25 years, the numbers of kingfishers have declined in Britain by 30 to 50% or thereabouts. The causes are varied. Habitat loss, predation and pollution.
Now, what I'm doing now is just moving my feet from side to side in what they call the biologist shuffle. That's just to disturb the insects off the bottom. And I'm just moving my net through. I think that's enough. Let me lift it now. Oh, something moving there. What do we see now? Oh, yeah. Look, that's... Look very, very tiny, but that's a little minnow. And really, they're a favourite food of the kingfisher. They're particularly fond of minnow. What do we see now? Just behind that, look... That creature there, now there's actually several of them. You see them there with two or three, there's one there with three tails just showing. Oh, yes. If they have three tails, that means they're a mayfly or an ephemeropteran. And biologists use these to indicate the quality of the water. Now in this particular case, you couldn't have a better sign than the sign of the mayfly because that means that this water is really, really, really clear and really pure. We have another look down here. Oh, you see that? Now that's a tiny creature now, but is a little red worm. And he's blood red, and that's what he's called a blood worm. Now, in this sample, one worm means nothing. It just means there was a blood worm. But if the sample was, was dominated by those little red worms, that would mean that the river was polluted, probably by organic pollution from sewage or from agriculture. But luckily, our river here is certainly looking very healthy with lots of mayflies in it. I'll just dip in again now and see if I can find something else. Good water quality in Irish rivers is crucial to the welfare of the kingfisher. Even low levels of pollution can impact on the numbers. Dr Ken Whelan of the Marine Institute. Well, at the moment we're just above Rathfarnham. And the reason I brought you here is because since I was very, very small I fished the Dodder. And the one thing that's remarkable are the numbers of kingfishers that are along it. And we were just saying earlier that in relation to why that might be, the Dodder in Irish is called Undutra. And for many, many, many centuries, millennia even, it's been known for its floods. And the floods bring down vast amount of silt. And that forms these lovely silty, sandy banks. And you were saying that that's probably an ideal habitat then for the kingfisher. And we've been trying to tame the dodder. In fact, we've tamed an awful lot of our rivers. If we went back, you mentioned millennia ago, what would our rivers look like? Well, taming, it's very, very appropriate to ask about taming when you're on the banks of the dodder because I've been involved with the dodder anglers now for 40 years. And when my dad was fishing the dodder in the 30s, it was as the rivers in the west of Ireland are now. It was a really remote area. And in terms of taming, what we've done is We've seen it recently in terms of the Talca. We've started to build in the floodplains of the rivers. And because we've started to build in the floodplains, we have decided that we're going to change nature and change the way these rivers behave. But every so often, every 10 or 25 years, the rivers have a good laugh at us and they come back with huge force and they actually teach us a lesson or two. But in taming the rivers, we've obviously done a lot of damage in terms of the wildlife and in terms of the water life in those channels. Yes, uh, and thinking about flooding and, and taming the river, uh, presumably long ago there would have been a great deal of flooding and floods presumably create vertical bank banks into which king commuters can dig holes. Is that a possibility? Would there have been much more habitat in the old days for the kingfisher to nest in, and more holes and more places to, to dig holes? Well, I'll give you one example and I'll bring you up there a little later on. There's one area on the middle dodder that's now an old sand pit and before the sand pit was formed there, it was a big flat flood plain with what looked like eskers, all these rumbling little hills of sand and silt. But every year that flood plain flooded right out and the force of the flood was never bad because it was dissipated into those areas. But they were perfect habitat for any of the birds that like silt and sand in terms of uh, the banks that were required. But now you're confined to less, I would guess, less than a fifth of the area that was originally there is now available to the birds because it's been forced back into the artificial channel that we now call the Linear Park. 
Well, now, the other side of the kingfisher's life is the food. Now, if we went back millennia, the fish would be very different from the ones we have here today, would they? Uh, what would kingfishers have fed on when they evolved or when they adapted to Irish conditions? Ireland is a strange place in many ways. And one of the main reasons it's strange is obviously because we lost the land bridge very early on. And we know that in terms of fish species, we were very, very sparse in terms of species diversity. Very, very rich in terms of abundance. So ideally, in the old times, the only uh, fish the bird had to feed on were salmonids, i.e. the trout, um, the salmon, and at very early stage, maybe the baby char. But there were very few minor species. There were some little sticklebacks and we think some gudgeon. But other than that, there was really very little for them to feed on. So predominantly, they would have fed on the salmonids, on the salmon and on the trout. But in recent times, we've seen huge changes in that. And in fact, in the last 40 years, that's when we've seen in Ireland the biggest change in terms of the spread of alien species into our rivers. And in the last 10 years, we know that small species such as roach and dace are both spreading and being spread by anglers, which is hugely disruptive in fisheries terms. But surprisingly, in terms of the birds that feed on small fish, it actually gives them a greater variety. And I imagine probably takes a certain amount of pressure off the predation in relation to the salmonids. And you'll often hear people say, oh, the kingfisher is going to damage the fisheries or whatever. I don't really believe that. The bird is so tiny. The amount of fish they're feeding on is so small. I think they're a very welcome visitor along the channels. And I think this movement of coarse fish, even though in fisheries terms we're appalled by it, I think in bird terms it could actually cause quite a change in terms of the ecology in the rivers. To find out more about kingfisher numbers in Ireland, I visited Birdwatch Ireland's Black Ditch Nature Reserve in Newcastle, County Wicklow. We estimate that there are anywhere between one and a half to 2,000 pairs of kingfishers in Ireland. Birdwatch Ireland is the country's largest conservation society. I asked their development officer, Niall Hatch, about their plans for a kingfisher bank. Well, where we're standing at the moment, we're very close to a new kingfisher bank that we just installed about four weeks ago down here. It's very different to the kingfisher banks up at uh, Druid's Glen and Rye Mead because um, this is using more natural materials. It blends right in with the local environment. And we used uh, materials we excavated from the scrapes we are providing for wintering ducks and geese. Um, there's quite a lot of water in this, uh, this habitat around here. We have channels running through and uh, drainage ditches. So there's several kilometres of, of ditches here providing lots of suitable habitat for kingfishers. And it's well stocked with fish as well. Now, you probably get the kingfisher here in winter so far. We're probably Probably not in summer. That's right, they tend to go further up, upstream in the summer months and in the winter they tend to go to, more towards the coast where it's a little bit warmer and um, it's more easy for them to catch fish there. They're very susceptible to cold weather. Now could you take me to the life of a kingfisher? We start our lives, if we were kingfishers, in a hole in a bank, maybe a metre in total mm-hmm. darkness. And uh, at what stage would we leave? How old would, be when, would we be when we would leave our nest hole? They leave the nest hole at the age of about uh, 27, 28 days. So they're in there for about four weeks and they become, pretty, they become independent pretty soon after leaving the nest. They, uh, they would spend a few days being trained by their parents and how to catch fish. So mummy and daddy don't do an extended care like most birds look after their babies for several weeks but kingfishers don't, do they? No, they tend to go on and, and have a new brood straight away. They would regularly have two broods per season and sometimes three if the fishing conditions are good. So they don't go back to the same hole for the second brood, do they, or do they build a new one? Or what do they sometimes do? they build a new one, sometimes they go back to the second one. There's no hard and fast rule with it. So often with uh, kingfisher banks, it's a good idea to construct uh, several different holes and, and available spaces close to each other, just in case they want to, to move location. As Niall said, the Black Ditch Kingfisher Bank is different from Derek Mulrooney's one at Druid's Glen with its layers of cement and clay? Well, I'll I'll describe it in feet. Mm. And it's about 10 feet long. Mm -hmm. 
by about eight feet deep from the top to the bottom. It's right on the edge of the lake on the 12th green at Druid's Glen. And it's on the side opposite the green. So the golfers aren't very far away from it. And in fact, when they're teeing off on the 13th, they walk down in quite close proximity to it. And I think a second ago, you heard a ball being hit. Now, did you put any holes in it? We did. We decided we'd make one burrow. And we left it then. And after about three weeks, lo and behold, we came along one day and hadn't the Kingfishers made 17 more burrows. And being an 18-hole golf course, I don't know what made them make 17 <laughs> and not 18, but it was coincidental. Anyway, well, How long did it take them to make the 17 holes? I mean, uh... Very, very quickly, Richard. Now, they didn't make them all very deep. So you were a bit worried they, wouldn't, they didn't like it or something, and maybe that was why they were making so many holes. Is that Well, I discussed this with Keith Bedford, and Keith told me it's a kind of a mating thing, and the male is demonstrating to the female what a good house builder he is. Indeed, he certainly did demonstrate it very well <laughs> with this bank. So now, which hole did they choose then, the 17th? Or one in between, or the first one? Or well, they, they, go? they certainly used the hole we made originally, and we have a little cavern at the back of the bank which we can open up and we'll have a look in and see exactly what happened in there we have a mirror a magnifying mirror which we'll put down and we should be able to see into the back of some of the holes well now they moved in to your relief i suppose because this can't have been a very cheap thing to construct um so at what stage was that was that late in the season no they moved in in um june it was late because what happened, as you recall this year, it was a very cold, wet spring and the summer didn't start early. And all the birds, the ducks and the pheasants, etc., etc., the first clutches didn't do very well because it was too cold and wet. Mm. So the kingfishers were late nesting. And in that period uh, of the early, early June, it was late May, early June, they came. Well, now, how many babies did they rear? I saw six, seven chicks. It's very hard to count them because you don't get very much time. There's only two or three days when they're around. Mm. Because once they start coming out of the nest, the parents teach them to fish and how to wash themselves, and then they seem to chase them away. But the parents are very territorial, and they obviously didn't want all those chicks in the immediate vicinity of the nesting bank. But I'm told that they're being seen further down the river, and the river, as you know, goes down to the Birdwatch Ireland site at Kilcoon. Mm. So Derek's experiment has been a great success. And according to Keith Bedford, whose design for the Kingfisher Bank he used, it is one of very few such ventures. We'll have to turn it over. You, if you get one handle, Jimmy, and I'll get the other one. That's it. Let's just get it That's down. it. Could it go down now? Yeah, no, that's, that's, no, that's fine. No, it's that's fine now. Yeah. Well, now we're standing well on oh, the back of the Kingfisher Hyde, Derek's Kingfisher Bank. And he has a manhole cover here, and inside of it there's a chamber. And facing where the kingfishers are, there is a glass partition which slides up, and just inside that is the nest. It's just to see into the actual burrow from the back with this magnifying mirror. You see the light? It's not. You see it there? The light. Yes. The light at the front. So we're actually looking through the burrow. You see the hole right through? Yeah. What I can see now is, in the middle of it, I can see something. And it, as you described it, Richard, it looks like debris, mm. bits of sticks, and 
It could be bits of bones or something like yeah, that. That could be where they put their nest, if you can call it a it's nest. It's not really a nest. No, it's it? just an old It looks like a kind of a little hollow yeah. out yeah. Yeah. thing. Because they're know? bringing fish in and they're dumping them there when yes. the kids have eaten it's like the, a hollow. the fish. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind so of a chamber, all, a little yes. opening, you know. Yeah. Do you want to get in and have a look yourself? Because you can sit look. in there. Yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice opportunity. You mightn't get too many every opportunities. Every day of the week with the luxury facilities, manhole covers and glass partitions and mirrors. and It's like the dentist looking at a, a cavity in a tooth every day, you know. Can you see a light? I can see right into it, the light at the end of the tunnel, and there are what looks like bones about half a metre in sticking up. It's like a dinosaur graveyard or something in there. It's quite a place. This is what the little kingfisher sees when he looks out, a cave. I wonder what he thinks about when he's looking at that cave, the big bad world outside that he's going to have to enter one day. It's remarkable, this. It's a lovely, it's a lovely thing to see. I think also, from where we're standing here, you can look out on the perch in front of the Kingfisher Bank. As you can see it there, it's very, very clear. There's no branches, there are no leaves or anything on it, so anybody standing anywhere can see the, the Kingfishers. It really worked very well. Although Keith Bedford was saying next year, before the nesting season next year we should actually drive a post into the into the lake Mm -hmm. because they like for some reason or other sitting on a single post have you come across that Richard? Well actually now that you mention it his one over there did sit on a post Mm -hmm. but when there's a few of them there of course there's only one pole this is a wonderful site it's a wonderful structure standing on it here it's you really put an enormous amount of work into making this thing it's kind of a military specification job really you know this would stand uh, a hurricane wouldn't it well this you're looking at the you're looking at the construction engineer here jimmy hart jimmy you're uh, from a great armagh supporter by the way oh armagh ga football team didn't do it any good this year. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to set up Kingfisher Holdings or something to go yeah. around the world building these things. Well, we're Kingfisher. hoping that we can make use of this cavern and, of course, the glass at the back of it mm. somehow or other with a camera, perhaps mm. next year. We're, this year we didn't really want to do anything because the whole project was very new and very fragile. But uh, Jimmy's idea here with this uh, glass that we can lift up, it worked very well and we're putting the glass back. Now, we leave it there and then probably... I think in the month of the end of January, February, we'll decide then what we're going to do, how we're going to handle it next year. Kingfishers, though not very vocal, have a range of alarm notes, contact and threat calls. What they lack musically, they make up for by having a glorious plumage. Such colours belong in the tropics, but are a bit of an anachronism in our dull latitudes. What is the point of all this glamour? Is it that their flesh is unpalatable and they advertise the fact to would-be predators? This is a question I put to Keith Bedford. If you look at my video of the kingfishers nesting here, you'll you'll see a a sparrowhawk on there eating a greenfinch. Mm -hmm. And in 2003, twice I saw a sparrowhawk chasing the female kingfisher Mm. and she disappeared. So I'm... 99% 99% certain the sparrowhawk took her. Now, whether when he tasted her, he didn't like it <laughs> and didn't go after it because the male just carried on and brought, brought up the brood. So mm. I don't know how true it is or not. The kingfisher, bird of the gods, is so beautiful as to be almost unreal. Until now, this has been an elusive creature and relatively few Irish people ever saw one. Thanks to the work which Derek and Birdwatch are doing, there will, hopefully, 
be a healthier kingfisher population here in the future, enabling many more of us to encounter the halcyon bird. <laughs>